This is Ben Flanagan with AL.com, and I am very pleased to talk to actor Andre Holland, a big part of the film Moonlight that you may see out in theaters right now. You definitely will see it as part of the award season in full swing right now as Oscar season approaches and as we get kind of deeper into it. Moonlight is a real contender to get nominated and possibly win major awards like Best Picture and Supporting Actor and Director and Screenplay, etc. It's gotten Golden Globe nominations. It'll get SAG nominations. It's really on fire right now and is up there with something like La La Land and Manchester by the Sea as a movie to be reckoned with this award season, but even more so, it's a movie to be reckoned with just in terms of film, and I think all film lovers should see this movie if they can, if they've got to wait for DVD or Blu-ray, that's fine, but if you can see it in a theater, I definitely recommend it, and one of the actors in it, Andre Holland, is actually from our state, Alabama. He's a Bessemer native, so I I thought if I can get a chance to talk to Andre about his career and, and coming from from Alabama and specifically Moonlight, I had to jump at the opportunity and it worked out and we had a great conversation. The guy's really thoughtful and is extremely talented, is great in the movie. So again, I recommend you see that movie and check out some of Andre's work. He's in 42 and Selma. He's on the Steven Soderbergh show, The Nick. So he's got a lot going for him right now. You're going to see a lot more of him now after his success with Moonlight. So check him out and I hope you enjoy this interview with Andre Holland from Moonlight. Andre Holland, congratulations on Moonlight, and, and thank you for making some time with us. Of course. You, you come from Bessemer. I'm curious, what does your hometown mean to you right now? How are you staying connected to Alabama? Well, all my family is still there, so I'm there. I'm home, you know, at least once every, I'd say, two to three months. So, yeah, I, I'm still very connected. Down in my community, we're actually we're building a community center. Growing up, my grandmother sort of ran a, uh, or helped to run a community center that I spent a lot of my time at as a kid. And so we're rebuilding it, refashioning it, and uh, trying to get it restarted again. So that's one thing I'm connected. And then, you know, obviously I'm still very connected to my parents and my siblings and cousins and, and everybody. And I'm also a huge Alabama fan, so I'm there for football games all the time, too. Where was the last football game you went to? This year, I only made it. The last one I made it to was um, was the Western Kentucky game. I think it was. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't you know, <laughs> wasn't the best game. But, uh, but it was the only one I could fit in because the, the schedule for, for Moonlight and everything has been so crazy. But uh, still was good to get down there and soak up some of the atmosphere. Nice. Uh, so, so, so several of your films, that, they've taken place in the South, obviously, including Moonlight. How has your background as a native Southerner helped you in finding projects so far? Do you, do you seek out Southern set stories, or has it just worked out that way? It kind of just worked out that way. I mean, I think the first one, the first movie I did that had about 42, which was not set in Alabama, but we shot some of it there in Birmingham at Rickwood Field. And then some off of in, in downtown Birmingham. And so I think, um, I mean, it was a period piece set in the 40s. And so I think that, um, 
maybe my southern sensibility uh, lent itself to the part, to the character that I was playing. Uh, you know, I think there is like a, a certain sort of warmth and and uh, and streetwise <laughs> uh, sensibility that southern people have that uh, you know ha- has come in handy for me in a variety of ways. But I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm, have been so proud and, and, and honored really to um, to get to come home to do some work in 42 and Selma and, and uh, you know, hopefully there'll be there'll be more and more of those. And, and you've worked with amazing directors like Barry Jenkins and Ava DuVernay, Spike Lee and, and Steven Soderbergh. Whether it's luck or relationships you've built throughout the years or, or sheer talent, I'm interested to know what draws you to work with such gifted storytellers. You said before in uh, another interview I saw that opportunities are things that come along that are actually in line with what you're looking to do and not just what the business thinks you should be doing. How have you developed a standard for which uh, you want to work with the best possible people and tell the most interesting and personal stories no matter what? Yeah, well, you know, for me, man, I want to I want to be the best actor I can be, and I want to work at the highest level. And I think the only way to improve is to work with people who are, you know, better than you, frankly, who are the best at what they do. And so I've always wanted to work with, you know, the best directors out there. And I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to work with a lot of some of them already. I think it's been I've been lucky in that, you know, the right things have come along at the right time for me in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, hard work has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I definitely, early on in my career, you know, you just want to work. You want to get out there and do stuff. So, and uh, and so I, I did some things early on that I look back on now and think, wow, you know, I was a different person there when I did that. And and now, you know, I do have a really high standard for the things I want to do. I want to do things that my parents and my family can be proud of. I don't want to ever embarrass myself or the people I love. I want to do things that, that show you know, my culture and my heritage in the best light, you know, that shows the best side of who we are and not continue to put these negative images out there that I think are so destructive. So, uh, and that's not to say that I want, I want every character I play or every movie I be in to be a sort of noble, um, you know, upstanding person, but I want them to be three-dimensional, you know, and if we're going to show the bad side of a person, I want to also find the, the, the good side, the, the light side, the, um, you know, how these people are trying to move their lives forward. On Moonlight specifically, I, I've seen this movie one time, but, I mean, it obviously really sticks with you, even if you need repeat viewings. And, and for me, the first time, above all, the movie really explores identity, how we come to terms with ours inwardly and outwardly, how our environments nurture it and, and ultimately allow us to express ourselves personally and emotionally and sexually. And, and your character, Kevin, he certainly seems at least a little more comfortable with his identity than Chiron does, even if he has to conceal it at times. And, and by the time that we reach your chapter, even more so. How did the film, if at all, help you reflect on your own identity and, and how you came to grips with it whenever you did? Good question. Um, hmm. That's a really good question. I think, yeah, I think you know, maybe... For actors, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but certainly for actors, I think we often are questioning this notion of identity, you know, because we it's our job to slip into so many other people's uh, shoes. So for me, it's an ever-evolving thing, you know. Every every job I do, I learn a little something from, you know. I think in this one, the thing I, in one thing I really took away from it is, um, in terms of identity, is um, the real value of community and and of, and of true friendship, 
you know, I think that um, sometimes in 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 certain communities, vulnerability is something that's not really there's not really a lot of space for vulnerability. You know, there's an idea that one has to be tough and macho all the time. And so, you know, thinking about where I grew up in in the South, I think that that's true there too. You know, and there's a certain bravado that comes with being a Southern man. So I think for me, when I have a family, if I'm lucky enough to have a family one day, you know, I think that the lesson I'll bring from all night is creating safe space for people to express who they are, to discover who they are. You know, I think that's what Kevin does for Chiron in that third act. And in in some ways, that's what what Mahershala's character does for him in the first act, and Janelle's character in the first two acts. You know, you you need people that you can count on, you know, and and, um, I think Kevin was that for Chiron, and I hope that I can be that for for uh, other people in my life. I was totally floored by the staging of that climactic diner scene, the, the quiet <laughs> stillness, the just like the quiet stillness of it, the, the movement of the camera, the blocking of the actors. There's, there's an intensity and even kind of a suspense that almost feels like you're watching a thriller. The moment we're seeing the one Kevin and Chiron are sharing, it seems so plain and simple. It's like this reunion of two old friends catching up in a diner, but simple moments like that can essentially help define someone's identity or, or lead them further down that path of self-discovery. How did you guys and Barry create that sense of intensity within the stillness? And what did filming that scene mean to you? It was wonderful, man. You know, Barry, one thing he does really it really was. He, he kind of he trusts his actors, you know. So that first, that scene, the diner scene, you know, as I'm sure you notice, is one really long shot. I think it's the longest shot in the movie, you know, from Sharon getting out of the car, walking in, sitting down. You see Kevin pass in the background all the way up until the moment where they face, face, face each other for the first time. is a really kind of cool, complicated shot. And I think, you know, what that allows you as an actor to do is to kind of fill in what's happening emotionally and to really go on the journey. So I think that was part of it. And, then I, you know, I agree. It does feel, it, it feels like you're kind of holding your breath, you know, the audience anyway, when you watch it. And it felt the same way doing it, you know, us not having seen each other for such a long time, you're really having to listen and not knowing what the next, what's going to come out of the other person's mouth. You know, the last time we saw them together was a pretty violent moment. So, but what we get actually from them is a real sense of tenderness and kindness and love. And I think that's, that's really kind of the remarkable thing about this movie, you know, is that it, defies expectations, you know. Yeah, so that one was like, that was my favorite scene of the whole thing to shoot, was that, was that one. So, Sharon. <laughs> what you, what you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. Like, you was just, you was just on one. And you hit the highway. Yeah. So where you gonna stay tonight, man? And then the very final scene between Sharon and Kevin. Again, so much of the power comes from the silence, the glances that they exchange. It's a bit of a chess match. We see them inside Kevin's apartment and, and finally away from the world. They're closed within a room where even the windows are covered, and they kind of have this kind of privacy they've seemingly never shared before. And, and Sharon's guard is still up, even with all that privacy. And as an actor, how do you break through where you ride that blurred line between character and performer 
opposite someone who's so reluctant to reveal their hand and, and finally break through to connect on an emotional level so necessary to tell the story? Yeah, I think great question, Ben. I think um, you know, listening is real is really the key. Listening to not just to what they're saying with their mouth, but also what their body language is saying, what the energy of the room, energy is that's coming from the other person is. Um and then not giving up. You know, I think what Kevin does in that in that that sequence of scenes is that he tries a variety of ways to get through someone. He tries to make him laugh, he tries to make him remember something from the past. He asks him about what his plans are. He you know, he tries everything, gets him tries to get him some wine, get him to loosen up, he makes him oh, he does everything he at his disposal to try and get through to this man. And by the end, I think what you know, what does it in my opinion is that Kevin shares something about himself. He opens up and shares something. And I think that offering is what then allows Sharon the space to offer to open up a little bit. And one of the things I love about the scene too is that it doesn't, you know, resolve itself, you know, because these guys are really just at the beginning, I think, of their journey. And so all the stuff that we see in that third act of them just building up to the moment where they can just arrive and say what they're really feeling and be honest with each other, that's just like the first step, <laughs> you know what I mean, towards like building a relationship or building a friendship or whatever it's going to be. But it's pretty remarkable to see what they have to go through just to get to that point. People will view this film through a few different social and political prisms. So if they watched it, say, like, before the election, they'll view it as a film during Obama's America. If they watch it now, the post-Obama America or a pre-Trump America, whether or not it's fair to even view it that way, people just will. One element that permeates through it is is the American prison system, sort of quietly, in, in the black American male's connection to that experience with, with several characters referencing time that they've served respectively. And you've obviously worked with David DuVernay on Selma and, and collaborating with her again on A Wrinkle in Time. And, and many have hopefully seen her amazing documentary, uh, 13th, on Netflix. How did Barry communicate to you that aspect and how it specifically relates to not only your character but others in the film? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we didn't really talk specifically about or in detail about, you know, what the movie means in terms of like a, a an Obama administration movie or a pre-Trump. We didn't really talk about it in those terms. I think what we tried to do was just make a film that was that was honest and truthful to what Barry and Terrell's experience was growing up. Um, and you know, you're right. The fact is that you know. It, there's so many things that led these characters to where they are. You know, you see Naomi Harris, Harris's character who's struggling with crack cocaine addiction and, you know, the environment that she's living in is is, is depressed and, 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 you know, somewhat violent and drug riddled. And to me, when I watch the film, the, the big question I have is, well, how did it end up that way? You know, and when you look back at history, I think it's, it's pretty easy to draw a straight line between, you know, that moment and certain policies that were put into place that led these where they are. So in a subtle way, I think Barry is dealing with that. In terms of the um, the prison system, you know, again, we didn't really talk specifically about mass incarceration or the prison system, but I think that as as black people, particularly black people um, growing up where me and Barry and Terrell grew up, I think we all have had have come into contact with the prison system in some way, either personally in our own lives or, you know, family members. or You know, we all are very much aware of that. Um, and so I think that, you know, you're right to make that parallel between this movie and the 13th. You know, I think they really are wonderful companion pieces, you know, <laughs> um, and, and and certainly, as you say, require viewing. 
Yeah, man. I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I, I think that's it. You know, it's, it's a lot of our work now, I think, is to try what people are doing. You know, Ava and Brian Stevenson, so many people are doing is trying to unpack this legacy of, like, slavery and, and mass incarceration and how we've gotten to the place that we're at. And, um, you know, I think this movie is a, is a part of that, that movement. Did you ever meet with the actors who play the younger versions of Kevin, Jaden Planner, and Jarrell Jerome in the previous chapters during production or pre-production? Was it important to establish any sort of understanding or connection among the three of you and how differently or similarly you would play the role or, or gain, or for you to gain a clearer insight into how a younger mind might shape your own perspective? Well, no, we you know we really wanted to meet the younger versions, but Barry basically asked that we not. He uh, wanted to keep us separate because I think his idea was that he didn't want he didn't want any of us to fall into any kind of mimicry or imitation. What we did have though is we did all have the benefit of having the whole script. So, you know, in in my case and in Trevante's case, we knew you know what happened to the character prior to our arrival on the you know in the movie. And I think that you know the, the story is so well written, the script is so well crafted that it's very clear when you read it to understand like what it is that this boy is going through and. And um, you know where they might be, these boys, and where they might be emotionally, uh, and then the rest of it in terms of like them looking the same or feeling the same. That's a, that that was like Barry and James Laxon uh, doing. You know the way they framed the characters in the in the in certain shots. I think uh, was was very similar. That Barry, I know, wanted to capture a similar um, vibe in the eyes, particularly in in the case of the Chirons. You know, when you look even at the poster, you look at the eyes lined up, and they look almost the same. So yeah, we didn't get to meet them. I met, in fact, I met the younger versions of Kevin at the premiere, at the New York premiere. That was the first time we met. So, you know, it was a leap of faith, but but Barry took good care of us. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're both also great in the movie. What does the kind of awards attention the film has received and and will hopefully continue to receive? What, what does that mean to those of you who made it? Not only for the positive self gratification that that kind of recognition might give you as individuals. But for the extra spotlight, it puts them on an independent film that tells such a unique story in, in such a unique way. Well, for me, that's the real that's the real win is that you know if it gets nominated or, or wins awards, that more people will see it, more people will be aware of it, you know. But for myself, in terms of like the awards and accolades, it's really nice to be recognized, you know, by your community and by your peers. But at the same time, you know, I, I think it's a dangerous thing. You know, because, look, I've been on the other side of that when you <laughs> – I feel like I've been on all sides of it. I've been things that I've, you know, didn't get any awards attention, you know, and we hoped that it would, and that's disappointing. I've been on the side of it where, like, we thought, oh, well, surely this is going to get some attention or this is going to get nominated, and then it didn't, and we thought, well, what happened? You know, and in this case, it's like this movie is getting a lot of attention, but I personally, as an actor, I don't want to go on that ride of, you know, the highest of highs and, and seeking validation from people. I just want to do the work that feels right to me and work with people who I respect and want to work with, you know. And I hope that that work reaches people and matters to people. But for me, when you start, when you start like you know, looking at the scoreboard, you're not really in the game. So I'm just trying to keep my eye on the ball. My last thing for you, Andre, it's too rare that we see such emotionally drawn films about black characters, let alone films about poor black characters, and even rarer, poor black gay characters, specifically in Moonlight's case, notably with the platform that this film has earned. How do you think it could inspire not only filmmakers to continue exploring similar themes and characters, 
but also studios and independent investors to finance stories like it. Well, I hope that, you know, the success of this movie will inspire, um, you know, financiers and investors to get behind other such stories. Uh, and I think, and I hope that, it, I, in fact, I know just from, like, talking to people that young filmmakers are really excited about telling their own stories because they see that they're, you know, yet again, that there really is a place, space for it and an appetite for it. My big thing from this, my big takeaway is that it's something that I've known, but it's good to be reminded of, is that the more personal your something is, the more personal it is, the more chance you have of it actually resonating with other people. You know, I think Barry and Terrell set out to make a movie that's very personal to them about about their upbringing, about their mothers, you know, and, you know, in making it super, super specific. I think that's that's how the universality sort of came to be. People see themselves in it because of Barry and Terrell making it so so uniquely them. And I, you know, hope I hope that that this movie does create other opportunities for actors, for directors, for producers. You know, and because there's so so many stories to tell. Even I'm standing here, you know, now, and I'm looking at a a copy of uh, My Bondage, My Freedom, Frederick Douglass's story, and I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a story we should do it. You know, I think about Sugar Ray Robinson and, and, and you know, the Black Panther. I mean, there's so many stories out there to, yet to be told, and uh, and I hope that this movie helps to inspire people to start telling them, myself included. Well, Andre Holland, congratulations on Moonlight and all of your success. I think your work is amazing in the film, and we wish you more success and can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the very thoughtful and interesting questions, man. Who is you, Sharon? Come on, son. Try not to remember. Try to forget all those times. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Tell him why the other boys kick his ass all the time. What's wrong? I'm good. No. I'm saying good. And you ain't it. Remember the last time I saw you? Thank you.